1: guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I am enjoying the wonderful weather that we're having. Oh my gosh. Is anyone surprised it's- that we're talking about the weather again? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but to be fair, we're not talking about the hot weather. Yes. We're talking about the Florida cold weather. Yes. We're talking temperatures in the 50s. Ever
1: heard of it? Right? <laughs> right? Seriously. I mean, not since last year. It's, yeah, right. <laughs> it's been so nice the last couple of days. Unfortunately... I think it's over today. Like it goes back to be oh, yeah. like 85 degrees tomorrow. So I have been enjoying it. I went and took a walk last night. Well, not last night, but in the evening when it was really nice. And I was out there walking this morning, just really trying to enjoy the wonderful weather. I love the fall so much. Same, same. I
0: did a morning walk yesterday and then I did an evening walk for the same reason, like knowing this is not going to last. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> this is so great. I don't have to wear like my 50 million sunshade giant hat i've sent you a picture of me in that's just so (laughs) incredibly humiliating but sun protection is key so um yeah so it's been so nice just it's beautiful outside oh my gosh yeah yeah this is when living in florida you're like this is great
1: i know well every year at this time when it gets to be around these you know wonderful temperatures i'm always like where can i live that has this weather Mm -hmm. most of the time i don't know where that would be Yeah, tell us. I'm willing to leave. We can do this remotely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for real. So yeah, so October is in full swing, and it's still spooky season. We're in the middle of it. So there's all kinds of spooky shenanigans going on right now. And we thought, why not add to the spooky shenanigans? Well, I thought that. I don't know if Melissa thought that. At this point, I'm just on board for these things. Like, <laughs> I don't fight it anymore, but I'm not, like, super thrilled every time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, instead of covering just one case like we typically do, we're going to do something a little outside of the box. So our wonderful right-hand woman, that's Haley, uh, she suggested that we could do an episode where we talk about famous horror movies that are actually based on true events. Scary. yes for me i didn't need to know any of this yeah and i'm willing to bet that the movies we're going to talk about today are ones that you've likely seen or at the very least you have heard of them but you might not have known that these hit flicks had any basis in reality whatsoever if you had told me that scream was anything other than pure fiction i would simply just not believe you The Scream movie always kind of struck me as being kind of corny and, to be honest, just not really that scary. And it's not really a movie that I think to watch if I want to be truly creeped out. What do you think about Scream? That movie
0: almost ruined my life
1: (laughs) (laughs) as a teenager.
0: I've told that story, right, where me and my sister had the chores of the kitchen or feeding the dogs, and my parents lived, like, way out in the woods, and – I decided to literally do dishes for the rest of my high school career. And all she had to do is bring the dog food outside because
1: that movie messed with me so much. So speak for yourself when you say it's not creepy. I don't know anymore. I don't know if I'm normal anymore.
0: No, you know, my daughter loves them. And that's totally shocking to me. Like you would like watching movies with her. She is like super into, you know, I love that Scary movies and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) I can't. She watches them with my husband. So it
1: works. (laughs) So according to IMDb, the plot of Scream is this. A year after the murder of her mother, a teenage girl is terrorized by a new killer who targets the girl and her friends by using horror films as part of a deadly game. And of course, I probably don't need to tell anyone that the killer in the movie wears an all-black cloak kind of looking outfit with a full face mask that looks kind of like a creepy long white ghost face and a black hood. The movie was directed by Wes Craven and has a cast of absolute stars of the time, in my opinion. There's Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, and more names that you've surely heard of had a part in this movie. Drew Barrymore, she kicked the whole thing off. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. How could I forget Drew
0: Barrymore? (laughs) That's okay.
1: (laughs) She wasn't on for very long. She wasn't. But what many people probably don't know is that Scream was inspired by true events. Now, we'll admit that the screenplay is not very accurate um, at retelling the real story, but Kevin Williamson really was inspired to write the script for the movie after seeing an episode of ABC News' Turning Point in 1994 that was all about the Gainesville Ripper. So now, another little sidestep here. I must be the world's worst true crime fan and podcaster because until this week, I had no idea that Gainesville even had a Ripper. Did you know? To be fair... Every friggin town has a ripper. Don't if, tell if me that. You, oh
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, my turn to scare you. No, but there's like a lot of them like cuz they have to come up with a new name, you know, every killer and so they just went with the Gainesville yeah, Ripper. Yeah, I know. I just but I think I got it confused with Ted Bundy. That's where I think I thought they were like that was another nickname like when they were looking
1: for Ted Bundy cuz Gainesville, Tallahassee, he was like all in that area. Oh wow. Florida's gonna Florida. So, yeah. <laughs> so Scream is not an accurate retelling of what the Gainesville Ripper really did in real life, but those events are what inspired the writer. He did change characters, location, murder details, and other details of the story though. The original title of the screenplay was Woodsboro Murders, and it was later changed to Scream, which as we all know went on to become wildly successful and it turned into a total of 5 movies with a 6th one actually in the works. A series was also created from the Scream franchise, which I did find. I actually watched Scream this past week. You know, after I was done writing about this story, I was like, I want to watch the movies that we're going to talk about. So I watched oh. Scream, and um, I don't think I ever saw any of the later installments of Scream. I think I only watched the one.
0: I only made it to the first one, kind of like Final Destination. I'm that was my final destination. I wasn't going any further. But you know what? I love more than Scream, which. By the way, didn't love ruined my childhood. I don't know why I sold it like that. Probably a lot of everything. things. everything. Yeah. Everything. Um no uh scary movie. That was oh, fun. Well that was the it was like a parody. Well of course that's what I liked. <laughs> I don't want the scary one. I want the funny one. Okay, but we know you guys didn't come here to learn movie facts. You could go- just Google by yourself in two seconds. That would have been a good Google the city. Missed right. opportunity. <laughs> You're here for the true crime. So let us tell you a little about the real Gainesville Ripper and the events that inspired the original Scream movie. I will say Mandy and I both said after looking at this, this is a pretty horrific story. It is. So um, we will tell it in our Moms and Murder way. Not nearly as graphic as it actually was, but just so you get an idea. So as we said, the events of the real crime took place in Gainesville, Florida in the fall of nineteen ninety. If you're not familiar with the Gainesville area, it's basically just a college town, but also a medical, like incredible yes. medical facility. Yes. Yeah, we have friends that have been there and I've had surgeries there. They're they're incredible. So Gainesville is where the University of Florida is located, and as such, the city is really heavily populated with college-age people. It was in late August of 1990 that Danny Rowling terrorized the town when he went on a killing spree, murdering five college students over a period of four days. Classes were set to begin on August 27th that year, but students began moving into their dorms the week before. Sonia Larson and Chrissy Powell were two of the students who had enrolled at UF that semester. Sonia moved to Gainesville from Deerfield Beach, and Christy moved from Jacksonville, and the two women were going to be roommates living in an apartment about eight blocks from the college. In the early morning hours of August 24th, Danny Rowling, who would later be known as a Gainesville Ripper, broke into the apartment where 18-year-old Sonia and 17-year-old Christy lived. He broke in through the back door by wedging a screwdriver into the door jam. When he broke in, he was armed with a pistol and a Marine Corps K-Bar knife. Christy was asleep on the couch downstairs when Danny found her. He stood over her for a while and contemplated what to do. What he decided to do was leave Christy asleep while he went to scope out the rest of the apartment. Upstairs, he found Sonia asleep in her bedroom. Danny attacked Sonia while she laid in bed, stabbing her in the upper chest area before putting duct tape over her mouth to silence her. Danny continued to attack Sonia while she fought for her life, but after about a minute, Sonia succumbed to her stab wounds. After killing Sonia, Danny made his way back downstairs where Christy was asleep. He put a double strip of duct tape over her mouth and taped her hands behind her back. Danny then cut Christy’s clothes off and raped her at knife point. When Danny was done, he forced Christy to lie face down on the floor and then he stabbed her in the back five times, killing her. After the bodies of Sonia and Christy were found, the investigators noticed the way Sonia's body was posed. Her clothes had all been taken off, and she was lying back on the bed with her feet on the floor and her hair fanned out. One of the women also had soap on her body. Duct tape had been used on both women, but it had been removed before the attacker left, which police believe was an effort to clean up DNA, blood, fingerprints, and any other potential evidence.
1: The next victim of the Gainesville Ripper wasn't a student at UF, but she attended the local community college there called Santa Fe. Krista Hoyt was an honor student who lived in an apartment off of a one-lane dirt road in Gainesville, and her apartment was less than two miles from Sonia and Christie's. Less than 48 hours after the first two murders, Danny broke into 18-year-old Krista's apartment after having scoped things out by peeping through her window a few days earlier, He pried open the sliding glass door using a screwdriver and entered her home with the same pistol and knife that he used in the first murders. When Danny got inside Krista's apartment, he realized she actually wasn't home, so he waited for her in the bedroom. When Krista got home, Danny surprised her from behind, put her in a chokehold, and overpowered her enough to tape her mouth and hands. Danny led Krista to the bedroom where he raped her before stabbing her in the back the same way he had done with Christy. He then posed Krista's body before leaving, but later on, after worrying that he left his wallet in the apartment, Danny went back and decided to decapitate Krista. A full day passed before officers found her body on the morning of August 27th. Her body was posed in a sitting position with her feet on the floor and her torso slumped forward. They found her head on a bookshelf. By the next day, which was August 28th, investigators said that they believed all three of these murders were related, and they even had a few leads. This led, of course, to a ton of fear and anxiety and paranoia among the students and the parents of the students that live there. Some students even started arming themselves, and many stopped going out at night altogether.
0: But just as soon as police announced the likely connection between the murders, Officers discovered the bodies of two more victims that had a very similar M.O. On the morning of August 28th, the body of Tracy Pauls was found on the floor of her living room. Like the other victims, her body had been posed and she had soap on her lower body. Tracy also had duct tape residue on her mouth and wrist. In one of the apartment bedrooms, officers found Tracy's roommate, Manny Taboda, dead after suffering multiple fatal stab wounds. Danny Rowling had broken into their apartment, which was about half a mile from the UF campus on August 27th at about three in the morning. Tracy and Manny were good friends who had recently started living together. They were both 23 years old. Tracy was a student at UF and Manny had plans to enroll for the fall semester. Danny again, broken through the sliding glass door, using the same screwdriver as before and carrying the same weapons. Manny was asleep in the first room that Danny went into. Both men were over six feet tall and about 200 pounds, but Danny stabbed Manny in the solar plexus and penetrated his thoracic vertebra. Manny woke up during the attack and tried to fight Danny off, but Danny continued to stab Manny in the arms, hands, chest, legs, and face until Manny died. When Tracy heard the commotion coming from Manny's room, she went to check things out. When she saw Danny, she ran back to her room and tried to barricade herself inside, but Danny was able to break down the door. While still covered in Manny's blood, he overpowered Tracy, taping her mouth and hands. He then removed her clothing and raped her before stabbing her in the back three times. He then cleaned and posed her body in the living room, where she was later found by officers.
1: The anxiety level in Gainesville at this point was at an all-time high when word about these college student murders were starting to spread. The entire town was living in fear, with young people legitimately terrified that they could be the next victim of the Ripper. Mental health experts were even brought in to help the area residents cope with this anxiety and stress. During the day, things didn't seem so scary, but at night, after all the streetlights were out, people really started to panic. Some even took turns on watch duty. People were so paranoid, they thought they saw the Ripper everywhere they went, and they were constantly calling the police to report every suspicious man that they encountered. At one point, the police were averaging 1,400 calls per night, which averages about to one call per minute. For months, there were no solid leads. But in November, Gainesville investigators got a tip from authorities in Shreveport, Louisiana. The Shreveport police had learned about the Gainesville murders, and they thought it sounded eerily similar to one of their own unsolved cases, which was the 1989 murders of the Grissom family. So an investigator with the FDLE named Don Maines went to Shreveport to meet with the police there about that case. We aren't going to give a ton of detail about this specific case because there was a child involved, but just know that it was very similar to the other murders in Gainesville. The female victim's body had been posed and cleaned and was also found with tape residue on her. The cases were eventually connected, but investigators still didn't know the identity of the killer. Not long after Officer Maines went to Louisiana, a woman named Cindy called the police and said that she believed she knew who was responsible for the college student murders in Florida. As it turned out, Cindy was from Shreveport, but she had been on a trip through the Florida Panhandle recently, and she saw a news report about the murders, and it instantly made her think of somebody she knew, and that person was Danny Rowling. Investigators looked into his name and learned that Danny actually lived with his parents about 10 minutes away from the Grissom family at the time of their murders in Louisiana. So at this point, the police are thinking that Danny is looking like the perfect suspect.
0: Isn't that so wild, though? Because if you think back to when this took place, it's not during a time of social media, 24-hour news, anything like that. Right. Just to be passing through, happen to see this news report, and think, oh, I know somebody like this, and... Go through with you know making the call to call to the police, who knows what would have happened if if she hadn't
1: done that to me that just sounds like one of those incredible cases of intuition, like leading you to give the tip because, oh yeah, that's like I can't imagine like hearing a news report or something and like thinking I know the person who could have done this, or I have like that I felt strongly enough that it was a possibility that I would actually call the police and give their name and everything like that. Like she had to have really felt like some deep conviction that he was possibly connected to these crimes. Right. I mean, you could ruin somebody's life if you're
0: calling in about the wrong person, but obviously that was the right thing to do. So soon investigators found out that Danny had been arrested back on September 7th for a robbery about 40 miles South of Gainesville and he was still in jail. His blood was tested and it matched the blood at the crime scenes. Since he was already in jail, he wasn't arrested for the murders, but he was later indicted for the murders of Sonia Larson, Chrissy Powell, Krista Hoyt, Manuel Toboda, and Tracy Pauls. He was also charged with three counts of sexual battery and three counts of armed burglary of a dwelling with battery. He actually wasn't charged in the Grissom family murders. Danny pleaded not guilty to the charges. On the first day of Danny's trial, February 15th, 1994, he decided to change his plea to guilty on all counts. Before the court got started, Danny said he wanted to address the court. He said, quote, Your Honor, I've been running from first one thing and then another all my life, but there are some things you just can't run from and this being one of those, end quote. After the penalty phase, the jury recommended that he be sentenced to death for each murder. On October 25th, 2006, Danny's execution was held at the Florida State Prison. Before he was executed, he wrote a confession letter to the murders of the Grissom family. His last meal was lobster tail, butterfly shrimp, baked potato, strawberry cheesecake, and sweet tea. But he did not offer any last words. Instead, he sang a gospel hymn in what was described by the Gainesville Sun as being a, quote, clear, calm voice that rang through the room, end quote. Danny's microphone was shut off at 6.01 p.m. He was pronounced dead at 6.13 p.m. Although this is not quite the way the plot of the screen movie went, now you know about these events that inspired Kevin Williamson to actually write the script. And we still have more to get into after a quick break to hear word from this week's sponsors.
1: Thanks to YouTube and TikTok, it seems like beauty has gotten so complicated. You spend so much time and money looking into what actually works for you. And that's exactly why Kitsch came to be a brand that was created to simplify self-care and beauty products, which help give you a major boost so you can go on to your next thing.
0: Kitsch is an incredible brand that knows that hair care doesn't stop in the shower. Where are my lazy girls at? Do I have the perfect product for you, but also for me. Kitsch has heatless satin curling rollers and in the words of Robert Durst from HBO's Jinx, say bye-bye to heat damage. But also there's no more rushing out the door trying to curl your hair. You can literally sleep in these things and it's actually very comfortable. Kitsch also makes quick dry hair towels which are perfect to use on those days when you're in a hurry or like I like to say on days that end in Y.
1: Kitch also has satin pillowcases, caps, and eye masks. Plus, the satin is vegan and cruelty-free, which makes it so great for your hair and skin while you sleep. Plus, Kitch is affordable. Frankly, I was shocked to see how affordable Kitch actually is, especially when you see how amazing the quality is. Kitch is offering you
0: 30% off your entire order at mykitsch.com slash murder. That's right, 30% off anything and everything at mykitch spelled M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H dot com slash murder. One more time mykitch.com slash murder for 30% off your order. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town and soon. And while you may not have a sled or a reindeer in desperate need of a Claritin, you do have stamps.com to help you with all your shipping and mailing needs.
1: We've used stamps.com for the past few years, and it is a game changer. Whether we're sending Patreon perks, tax forms, paying bills, or sending invoices, we can do it all right from the comfort of our own Christmas-themed pajamas. And all you need is a computer and a printer. It's just that easy. And you can do the same for your small business.
0: And while the holidays can be the happiest time of the year, it can also be the busiest. Stamps.com offers a stress-free solution for every small business. Whether you have a podcast or an Etsy shop or you work directly for the big guy at the North Pole, Stamps.com can help you during the holiday season and beyond. And one of my favorite perks is that I can schedule a package
1: pickup through
0: my Stamps.com dashboard so there's not even a need to go to the post office.
1: Get ahead of the holiday chaos this year. Get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code MOMSANDMURDER for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code MOMSANDMURDER. And now back to the episode. Okay, so before the break, we talked a little bit about The Gainesville Ripper, the real-life serial killer that inspired the original Scream movie. The next horror movie we're going to talk about is a little bit less creepy, in my opinion. Although I did say I didn't think Scream was scary. So it's a lot. Whoa, no. (laughs) I guess for you, it wouldn't be. So yeah. So for me, it's way less creepy, but still very interesting. Yeah. So as Florida residents, Melissa and I know the best way to avoid being eaten by a shark is to simply stay out of their home. Wouldn't you agree, Melissa, that's the best way? A hundred percent. So I personally don't like going beyond waist deep in the ocean, just out of respect for nature, but also because I've heard enough news reports about shark bites to know better. The topic of shark attacks isn't really all that scary to me, but back in 1916, people actually did not have the same shark awareness that we do today. That's something I never thought I would ever say, shark awareness. Do you think there's a month for that? Probably. Um, But it's believed that the real shark attacks of 1916 may have inspired the book that was later adapted into the movie that we all know and love as Jaws. The book, written by Peter Benchley, tells the story of a great white shark that preys upon a small resort town and the voyage of three men trying to kill it. The three men in the book were Martin Brody, a police chief, Matt Hooper, a marine biologist, and Quint, a professional shark hunter. The book came out in February of 1974 and instantly rose to success with 5.5 million copies of the book selling within the first 18 months in the U.S. alone. Two Universal Pictures producers heard about the book before it was even published and ended up purchasing the rights to it. And from there, Universal made the Jaws movie, which was released in 1975. The movie was directed by Steven Spielberg and starred Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, and Richard Dreyfuss. Jaws is considered one of the most beloved movies of all time, which is it? What? <laughs> what? Is it No, it's not. I'll answer that for you. (laughs) That fact got pulled from some article that some – they love Jaws from wherever that came from. Uh, One of the most beloved movies of all time. It is a popular movie. Melissa, I can say that I have honestly never sat and watched the Jaws movie I feel like it's one of those that have been on TBS
0: and I've watched parts of it, but unless it was like a blockbuster and I had nothing else going on, I don't think I ever picked no, this No, it out. certainly
1: never left a mark on my life. Uh, but yeah. some people liked it a lot and three sequels have actually been made, but none of them were as successful as the original movie. So it seems kind of silly to say that Jaws may have had some basis in reality because sure, we all know shark attacks are a thing that could happen, so... Wow, like what a plot for a movie. But depending on what source you read, the original book that Jaws was made based on was actually inspired by one of two real-life events. And so these two possible events that inspired the book were the Jersey Shore Shark Attacks of 1916 or the story of real-life shark fisherman Frank Mundus.
0: Right off the bat, I want to call everything the Jersey Shore Shark Shark Attacks. attacks. That is the most... You know I'm just eating that up. Um, But also, Mandy, you and I, like, for all the, like, we know to stay out of the way of sharks and stuff, we go to, like, the nation's capital for shark attacks, which is New Smyrna Beach. True. There's more shark attacks there than anywhere else, I think, in the country. Yeah. Um, But nobody – I mean, I shouldn't say nobody dies, but, like – typically the sharks just take a nibble and they go on with their day. But it, so it's never like that scary, but I can see how a long time ago things would have been a lot different. So according to Britannica, people back in the early 1900s really didn't do a lot of water activities. The summer of 1916 was a time when swimming for recreation was still a relatively new concept.
1: I don't know why it blows my mind that like people didn't swim for recreation like since the beginning of time. I don't know. It just felt so weird to me to learn that Like, people didn't just go swimming until 1916. I got to be honest, before 1916, I don't think
0: people did anything for recreation. They were trying to live. That's true. Okay.
1: So floating in
0: a pool wasn't at the top of their list. (laughs) But I'm with you because it's like, huh, I didn't know swimming was like around for a hundred years. Yeah. Weird. So a heat wave had hit New Jersey that year, and the beaches were more crowded than ever with people looking to cool off in the water. During that summer, over a 12-day period, four people were killed and one was seriously injured in shark attacks. The first attack was on July 1st in Beach Haven, New Jersey. 25-year-old Charles Van Zandt went for an evening swim when he suddenly began screaming and acting frantically. Bystanders thought he was yelling at the dog he was swimming with, but when lifeguards got to him and brought him to the shore, they could see that something attacked him. He had a huge chunk of flesh missing from his leg. Charles ended up dying on the beach after losing too much blood. At the time, no one knew exactly what caused his injury, and people believed that any sharks in the water would be relatively harmless. Can you imagine that? Yeah, me comes no out way. of the water
1: and is missing a oh. chunk, and you're like, no clue, not no idea what happened. Like immediately would never. Get in the water again. It's amazing that swimming lasted after this. (laughs)
0: True. Imagine the things that probably have ended over like thousands of years because something like this (laughs) happened and people were like, nope, not doing that again. (laughs) So some people even speculated that a sea turtle could be responsible. I don't think that's that wild. Sea turtles scare me. Well, we have to be so careful with flashlights and lights.
1: Yeah, but they're so sweet and cute. I mean, I guess they can bite and snap, Mandy. (laughs) Yeah, I'm thinking snapping turtles. They're not all. But sea turtles are like not aggressive. They're like beautiful and peaceful. I like
0: when they when you see like the nature videos and they run into the water. The babies. Yeah, yeah. You know, like most 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 of them don't even make it to adulthood. But
1: that's kind of depressing. Okay, (laughs) why are we at it?
0: so five days later in spring lake which was about 45 miles north of beach haven another man also named charles also didn't have a lot of names going around at that time (laughs) he was swimming with friends when he was pulled underwater charles started flailing around and yelling for help while being dragged under the surface two lifeguards were able to pull him onto their boat and realize the severity of charles's injuries both of his legs were gone below the knee and he also died of blood loss After the second attack, people really started to panic, and as the news spread, more people were hesitant to get in the water at the beaches. On July 12th, an 11-year-old boy named Lester was attacked and pulled underwater. An adult man named Stanley tried to save the boy, but he was also attacked. Both sadly died of their injuries. Later on the same day, another 12-year-old boy was bit in the leg while swimming, but he survived. Two days later, two men were fishing near the same creek where Lester and Stanley were attacked when they encountered an aggressive shark. The fishermen killed the shark in self-defense, and the shark attacks stopped happening in the area. But these shark attacks forever changed how people view sharks. Shark panic, which is not a (laughs) phrase I've heard before, took over the East Coast with cash rewards being offered for sharks. The mayors of beach towns had the waters encircled with fences and nettings and lifeguards were given shotguns (laughs) and harpoons and long lines that had dead
1: lambs on them for bait. I think we should stay (laughs) out of the water if we have to go through all this. Can you imagine that being like your beach experience? I'm just like envisioning like (laughs) netting in the water and like lifeguards You're swimming with like a dead lamb. (laughs) I can't. That's... (laughs)
0: okay but i was already still like amazed every time we've said lifeguard in the story because i'm like what how <laughs> how have they only been swimming for like two years and they're like you know what we need people to save each other's lives right. in here yeah i didn't think swimming was even a thing <laughs> okay so back to shark panic i can't get over the idea of harpoons and lamps. Like this is obviously so messed <laughs> up just like you're wanting them to save your life but they're too busy Leading a dead lamb along? I don't get it. Weird, weird times. So it was weeks before anyone actually felt comfortable getting back in the water to swim. I don't even think it had to do with the sharks. I think it had to do with the lifeguards. <laughs> but when World War I started a year later, people were a lot, lot less worried about sharks in the ocean, which is something that will happen when a world war starts. In 1974, when Jaws was actually released, this fear comes back, and it really hasn't
1: gone away since. Although... I don't feel like people. Well, no, that's true. People will say that they're scared of sharks. Yeah, I mean, I am. I just said that's why I don't get in the ocean very far. <laughs> but see, I I really am always just like in me, who's scared of everything, is like
0: ah, uh, somebody else will get chewed on before me. I always make sure other people are out further. No, I'm like, see, I'm lucky. scared of
1: sharks. I'm scared of alligators. I don't like um, I don't like waters alligators. in Florida. You know. But you love water. I do. I just like to be What's sitting wrong with you. I like to sit where I can look at the water, but I don't really like getting in. It kind of freaks me out a little bit. I think you need to just like get a big glass of water <laughs> and play oceans.
0: <laughs> it's a lot safer. Oh, gosh. Okay. So back to the story. The truth of the matter, though, is sharks rarely attack humans. You're actually more likely to die from a vending machine accident than a shark attack. Okay. Which is- <laughs>
1: I didn't even know I was supposed to be scared of vending machines, Mandy. There's enough vending machine deaths to have a statistic? (laughs) There is a statistic.
0: According to Freakonomics, the yearly risk in the U.S. of dying from a shark attack is roughly 1 in 250 million. So I'd actually like to know what, uh, like, getting into a shark attack is because— I'm just waiting for my number in New Smyrna. Right. <laughs> but um, the risk of dying by a vending machine is 1 in 112 million. I need to know how. What happens? Is it people trying to climb in them? Or like, what is happening? It, I think it's it's got to be people shaking them. Like, their Snickers doesn't come out. And you know what happens when you don't have a Snickers. And you shake it, and it's dunzo for you.
1: I or, don't know. What happens? <laughs> I mean – it smashes you. Oh, it falls Hulk over? smashes you down to the ground. Or or like the small child standing next to you. I don't know. Like, that's crazy. In obituaries,
0: you know how like sometimes they don't put the cause of death and you're like, hmm, I wonder how they died. Yeah. I wonder if that's these I people. know. I, if you don't put how you died in your
1: obituary, I assume <laughs> it's a vending machine at this point. That's where the statistics are coming from. <laughs> All right, but there's actually another theory that the shark hunter Quint from the original book that inspired Jaws was actually based off of real-life Captain Frank Mundus, who ran a charter fishing boat out of Montauk, New York, for 40 years. So Captain Frank was described as being loud and shameless, and he had a personal grudge against sharks. (laughs) I just – it was a different time. It was a different time. (laughs) I
0: feel like he was not given a harpoon,
1: and he was tipped. (laughs) Yeah, so Captain Frank was known for his odd style of dressing. For example, he would wear a hoop earring in one ear, an Australian slouch hat, and a large shark's tooth around his neck. And he also painted one of his toes red and one of them green to remind himself which direction was which, because (laughs) maritime markers are red and green and tell you where you are in the channel and what direction you're going. So he had painted, I guess, his right toe red and his left toe green. I, mean, I don't know what he was doing with that um, I can't take you seriously
0: on anything if you have a personal against sharks
1: and play your direction by point by painting your t- I don't get it I mean it's kind of a good idea I guess if you're like oh, don't give it to him you're like, <laughs> don't give it to you him. if you are living on the water I guess maybe I don't know Anywho, so whenever he would come back into dock though, he would always be hauling these shark carcasses that he hunted and caught, you know, from behind his boat. Sometimes he would have them hanging from like high points on the boat and he would come into the dock very loudly and bragging and it would just be this whole big to-do about look at me, I caught all of these sharks. So Frank became pretty famous for all of these shark hunting endeavors that he was going on. He would bring back these creatures from the deep, and people would come from all over to get a glimpse of these never-before-seen monsters, as they called them. Unfortunately, Frank often harpooned the sharks rather than baiting them with a rod, and he didn't use the sharks for anything afterwards, other than grinding up the carcasses and using it for chum. But he did become a worldwide sensation and started calling himself the Monster Man, and he made TV appearances on big shows like David Letterman and Larry King, where he was Telling these wild tales about these shark hunting adventures. Why would you
0: (laughs) on earth, like just from a marketing perspective, why would you call yourself the monster man and not the shark
1: man? That doesn't make a a lick of sense. I mean, they knew they were sharks, but like, I guess maybe at the time they didn't know there was so many. I don't know. I guess they thought this is what monsters are.
0: He was on David Letterman. (laughs) They knew what monsters (laughs) were.
1: R.I.P. Larry King, but David Letterman is still around. (laughs) So anyway, years later, Frank said that he regretted all the sharks that he killed because, as we said, he was just like
0: really a monster. Actually,
1: he was a monster. He was for no reason going out and killing these animals, hunting them down. And he said he regretted all of the sharks that he had inspired other people to kill. And so he actually started giving talks where he was urging protecting and preservation rather than glorifying the death of these sharks. So I guess, good for him. That's good. Yeah, a little late. Yeah. So Paul Benchley, who, as we said, was the author of the Jaws book, has always said that Frank Mundus had nothing to do with the character Quint. But according to Frank himself and those who know him, he was definitely the basis for that character. Which maybe, but also maybe you're just like really full of yourself and want to be. Impo- I mean, he's according to quirky. Frank himself and his friends, like okay, but like the author said, like it hasn't. It's not about you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Why are you so obsessed with me? Right. So on Mundus' website, he actually has an FAQ section. And one of the questions is, is it true that the shark hunter Quint in Jaws is based on you? In what ways does he resemble you? And Mundus's answer is, quote, Yes, he was. He knew how to handle the people the same way I did. He also used similar shark fishing techniques based on my methods. The only difference was that I used handheld harpoons after field testing harpoon guns and discovering that they didn't work. The dart would pull out after hitting the fish. So Montauk businessman uh, Joe Gaviola told 27 East News, quote, If you read the book, Quint is everything Frank was. Eventually, spent weeks fishing with him. Give me a break. He is Quint.
0: So maybe oh, well, I didn't- Oh, left that out. Yeah. I guess
1: I forgot about that part.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, the Jaws movie is also said to have a possible connection to an unsolved murder, a case known as the Lady in the Dunes. As the moniker suggests, a woman's body was found in the dunes about a mile east of the Race Point Ranger Station in Provincetown, Massachusetts on July 26, 1974. There was no sign of a struggle, but the woman was found nude, lying face down on a light green beach towel with her head resting on folded Wrangler blue jeans. She was laying on half the towel as if someone else had been lying on the other side with her at some point. A blue bandana was tucked beneath her head, and there were piles of pine needles where her hands should have been. The woman's body was left a few dozen feet away from the sandy roads that people used to explore the coast. There was blood found in the area, but authorities believe the woman was killed somewhere else and then brought to the beach and posed in this way. Autopsy reports showed that she died from a blow to her head and she had been deceased anywhere from 10 days to three weeks before her body was found. Her hands were missing, presumably to prevent identification through fingerprints, and her head was nearly severed from her body. The left side of her skull had been crushed. No weapons were found at the scene. The unknown woman's body has since been exhumed twice as DNA technology has progressed. The first time was in 2000, in an attempt to confirm her identity. In May of 2010, a new composite photo was created using state-of-the-art computer analysis. Unfortunately, despite advancements in technology, the woman's identity has never been determined. It's estimated that she was somewhere between 20 and 40 years old, around 5'6", 145 pounds, athletic build with long auburn or reddish blonde hair. She was found with her hair tied in a ponytail and pink nail polish on her toenails. The woman also had extensive dental work done, which was worth about $10,000 at the time. Many theories have surfaced about what happened to the lady in the dunes and who she was. One theory is that mobster Whitey Boulder was responsible. Another theory was concocted by Stephen King's son, Joe Hill, Joe theorizes that the mysterious woman was actually an extra on the set of Jaws. He claims that 54 minutes and two seconds into the movie, there's an extra in the crowd that looks a whole lot like the composite sketch of the woman. She was wearing blue jeans and a bandana in the film. The filming for Jaws took place about 100 miles from where the woman's body was found, and it was going on not long before she was found. Joe has admitted to some flaws with this theory, like the extra in the movie wasn't wearing the same type of wranglers found with the body. And that blue bandana was actually worn by six women in the movie. So there's probably nothing at all to this silly theory. But weird
1: for Stephen King's son to be like, oh, I figured this he out. He wants to put his hat in the ring on theories.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's super bizarre. Yeah. And we still have the creepiest horror movie real-life connection yet coming up after one last break to your word from this week's sponsors
1: if you're looking to learn a new skill or immerse yourself in something you've only dreamed of masterclass is the place for you With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn how to make delicious Texas-style barbecue from Aaron Franklin, improve your writing skills from Judy Blum, or learn interior design from Kelly Wurstler. With over 150 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think.
0: Speaking of Kelly, I just started her interior design class – I love a beautiful home, but I don't really know where to start. The fact that I don't have a hundred photos of Prism Mike just hanging all over my walls is a miracle. Kelly breaks down the rules of interior design and easy to digest lessons, and she really gives great examples of what she's explaining. Plus, lessons are only about 10 to 15 minutes each, and I can skip around if I want, making the classes work for me. And while I love TikTok, there is nothing like watching a cinema quality class taught by
1: world-renowned instructors. I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every class, and as a Moms and Murder listener, you get fifteen percent off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com/slash/moms-and-murder now. That's masterclass.com/slash/moms-and-murder for fifteen percent off MasterClass
0: with one of the best savings rates in America. Banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast, and with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts,
1: is it even a decision? Get started today. It only takes about five minutes to open an account with Capital One, and there's no minimum to open and keep your account. That's Banking Reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com/slash bank. Capital One NA member FDIC.
0: It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own, and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated.
1: Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more.
0: Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home?
1: Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. And now back to the episode. So far, we have talked about two famous horror movies that had some foundation in reality. I have to admit the Gainesville Ripper story is probably going to keep me up at night for a while, but the real events that inspired Jaws probably won't. One of the absolute creepiest movies I have ever seen, though, is the 2008 psychological horror thriller, The Strangers. We have talked about The Strangers a few times, mentioned it, and yeah, Yeah. I think we're both on the same page. That is such a creepy, creepy movie. Terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -mm. So ripped straight from IMDb, The Strangers tells the story of a couple who return to an isolated vacation house after attending a wedding reception. They receive a knock on the door in the middle of the night, and what ensues is a violent invasion by three strangers, all with their faces hidden behind masks. The couple finds themselves in a violent struggle in which they go beyond what either of them thought they were capable of in order to survive. The movie was written and directed by Brian Bertino and stars Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman. It was a successful film that ended up with four other movies being made for the franchise. I think, as I said, we've mentioned The Strangers before, we both find it incredibly unnerving, but according to the writer and director Brian Bertino, the plot of The Strangers is primarily based on a very infamous case, the Manson family Tate murders, and also partially on a specific night from Brian's own life. Pretty much everybody knows the Manson story, so we aren't going into really any detail. But on the night of August 8th, 1969 in Los Angeles, California, Charles Manson directed his cult followers to go to 10050 CLO Drive and kill everyone there as gruesomely as they can. The family ended up murdering five people, including actress Sharon Tate. On August 10th, the family killed two other people in their Los Angeles home. Manson and four of his cult followers were convicted of these murders. As for the event from Bertino's own life, one night when he was a child and home alone, someone knocked on the door. He answered the door, and the person asked for a name that Brian didn't recognize— Later, Brian found out that the person was actually just going door to door knocking to see if anybody was home. And then if, if nobody answered, the house was robbed. If somebody did come to the door, he would just play it off and ask for a fake name and, you know, my mistake and leave. So this experience really stuck with Brian. It sticks with me too because I want to know how old was Brian answering the door when his parents weren't home? <laughs>
0: Well, you know what? That's something I've always heard, though. Like, if somebody knocks on my door, even if I don't want to, like, answer it, I never act like I'm... You have to let them know you're there. Yeah, so you say that you're there because of the same thing. It never happened to me, but I've always heard that. Like, if people think no one's home, they'll break in. I just assume that about everyone. So although Brian Bertino has never admitted or actually referenced any other inspirations for the movie, many people believe that the Keddie Cabin murders also had a part in it. Those events took place on April 11, 1981, in Cabin 28 at the Ketty Resort. This particular cabin was located on the side of State Route 70 on the way to Quincy, California. On April 12, a 14-year-old girl named Sheila Sharp found her mom, brother, and her brother's friend dead inside the cabin. Sheila had spent the night in a neighboring cabin with a friend of hers and found the bodies when she went back to her cabin to change clothes for church. Sheila made her way through the cabin and found her siblings, Greg and Ricky, and their friend, Justin Smart. They were all unharmed, but Sheila's 12-year-old sister, Tina, was missing. It's assumed she was abducted, and her body would be found years later in 1984, about 100 miles away from the cabin. A hammer and a knife were found at the scene, and those are believed to be the murder weapons. A sketch was released based on Justin's recollections, but he was a child at the time this happened and has been giving differing statements such as that he actually saw the murders happening, but then he said he thought he'd just stream that up. It has to be so hard because you know you want to give that information, but you don't. Right. Being a kid, I mean, oh, that's just so tough. Two suspects have been named in these murders. One was Martin Smart. He was the Sharps' neighbor. The other suspect was someone named Bo Bobetti. Martin Smart originally told investigators that he was missing a hammer, but that hammer was actually found in 2016 in a pond down the road from where Cabin 28 once stood. Investigators believe that hammer was placed there intentionally.
1: I have a comment. Yeah, go ahead. So Martin Smart, I didn't have any more information on this, um, but I am wondering, is that Justin Smart's father? Because I he think was a friend that was in the room and who was on the kids were unharmed from that room. So it definitely makes me wonder is was that? I'm his? pretty sure that's
0: what there's um there's a podcast, a series, and I listened to it a few years ago. Um the Ketty Ketty Cab Keddie Keddie, Keddie Cabin Keddie Murders, Cabin. I believe is what it's called. I should listen to that again, but I think I think that was the relationship um or a stepfather. I, I can't remember. Interesting. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. More sense, I guess. Another red flag is that Martin had fled Ketty Resort after the murders, and he wrote a letter to his then wife that said, quote, I've paid the price of your love, and now I've bought it with four people's lives. Like, what else could that mean? Right. That's, that's wild. Both of the suspects have since died, but police think there are still two individuals out there that played a role in the murders, and the case remains unsolved to this day.
1: I definitely want to... Listen to uh, whatever you listen to. You'll have to send me if you found a podcast about that. You know what? I'm having a moment where I'm
0: like, did I make that up? (laughs) I I don't think I did, but I think it was definitely a few years ago because I don't remember very much about it. Or it might have been called the cat, whatever cabin number it was. I don't know. I'll have to look it up.
1: Yeah. Sounds very interesting, like a very interesting story. Okay. So that was our episode for this week telling some possible real life connections or real life, maybe not connections, but inspirations to. Horror movies that we all know and love, except for Jaws.
0: Oof, no Jaws hate. Except I don't love any of them. Are you kidding
1: me? Yeah. Yeah. So, Melissa. Yeah. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> so, Melissa, are you ready to turn the page and do some last thing before we go? I am. All right. So, this week we are going to do a little trivia back and forth game. Big shout out to Haley, who helped us with the last thing before we go this week. Um, She put together some trivia questions and then hid the answers. So we are both just now looking at these really for the first time. So I have a set of questions I am to ask Melissa, and she has a set of questions that she is to ask me. These are kind of just fun trivia questions that are related to, I guess, spooky season.
0: Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Haley, because yes, thank you so After much. last
1: week's uh, lesson before we go, <laughs> we need people a really Haley. People really enjoyed it, though. Yes. We need Haley in our life to, to help forever. us forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. She keeps us so much more organized. So, yeah. So, we're going to play mm-hmm. a fun trivia game put together by the lovely Haley. All right. So, Melissa, do you want me to go first with the question, or are you going to go sure. first? You want me to go first? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Melissa, which celebrity is known for throwing epic Halloween parties?
0: Okay, costumes is Heidi Klum. <gasps> okay, then I'm going to say Heidi Klum. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it is. But like, why would you say that out of all the celebrities because out she, there?
0: Because, okay, swear to you, I promise I've not looked at these answers. But she was her in What's-His-Face, seal that was like their whole thing was like the two of them doing these outrageous costumes. And it was a big deal because she's so hot. Oh. And she would dress up as like not very hot things. And it was awesome.
1: Oh, I do kind of, like, I know that. Right? I did know that.
0: I don't know who else in Hollywood even does Halloween stuff, but I associate Heidi Klum with it. Well, you would be correct. Yes. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm excited. I didn't even see that question. Okay. Next one. Uh, Mandy. Okay. When did Starbucks first introduce the pumpkin spice latte? 2003. Okay. Yeah. That is right. Really? Are we both cheating? I didn't cheat. I swear I did not look at these (laughs) answers. Wouldn't it be funny if we get them all right and truly haven't even looked at these? Okay. I
1: almost said 2002, but then I was like, no, we'll say three. That's funny. But it's –
0: yeah, it's 2003 – Originally, it didn't contain any pumpkin. Since 2015, though, they do put a pumpkin puree of some sort inti- into it.
1: It definitely reminds me of like high school time. Like, but I guess that was even before. Okay, for me. Okay, no, that was after. No, that was during high school. Yeah, uh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't even know Starbucks was a thing in high school. What? Oh, gosh. <laughs> no, I don't. I really don't think I did. I graduated in 2001. But you also don't. Well, don't really, like people coffee. really going to.
1: Starbucks. I don't know what people in 2001 were doing. You're probably still in a car seat. Okay, go <laughs> ahead. <Next one. laughs> okay. How many colors of M&Ms are there in a normal bag?
0: Okay. I'm going to count red, orange, yellow, green, blue, brown.
1: Stop it. I swear
0: purple. you're cheating. No, but this time I can see you highlighting it. <laughs> I didn't even do that. <laughs> I just looked and saw six, and my finger ended on six. I was <laughs> oh like, "Oh my okay. gosh!" Okay, I would have added blue though, so I would have actually um, said seven.
1: Oh, well, there's six. So because
0: blue, I voted for blue back in the day. No, I voted for purple, but blue ended up winning for like the M M&M and M thing back when, back when they did the I voting. Yeah, it was a it was a simpler time. Okay, <laughs> Mandy, uh, what is the most popular Halloween costume for pets? A hot dog. Oh, thank God. Oh, wow. Okay. Is it? A pumpkin followed by a hot dog, bat, bumblebee, and then witch.
1: I knew pumpkin, and I always see the hot dog costume on dogs. It's so always. cute. It is so cute. I know, and I really want to get one for the little puppy.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, you should. Good luck. Yeah. Those things are so hard to find, especially when they're so little. Oh, I know. For sure.
1: Okay, here we go. So next question for you. In season 11 of The Real Housewives of New Jersey, Margaret Josephs threw a Halloween birthday party. Can you recall any of the costumes the cast wore to the party? <laughs> no, um, I don't
0: know. I don't remember um, New Jersey even doing a Halloween one. <gasps> can you tell me what there were? I can. I have to highlight it. Okay,
1: um, I see it let's now. See, can you see it? Who are these people?
0: Okay, I can see it. Melissa and Joe Gorga as Myrrh people. Dolores and Frank Catana Senior as plastic surgery nightmares. Oh, she was dating a surgeon then. Teresa Giudice as Cotton Candy and Margaret as Morticia Adams. I wonder if I never even saw that because I don't recognize any of that.
1: Oh, what a bummer. What a
0: letdown. That was a sad one for me. Sorry <laughs> about that, everyone. <laughs> okay, let's see. Um, Mandy, what actress made her film debut in the original Halloween movie? You know this.
1: The original Halloween movie?
0: She's in all the how? Ha- well, let me Jamie check. Don't look down here. Good job, Mandy. And yeah. she was actually just on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills this week. Really? Weird times, weird times.
1: Oh, I haven't seen or heard from her in ages.
0: <laughs> you haven't been looking for activity yet, clearly. Your bows are doing well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Melissa, I have at least one more for you. Okay. So, okay. what Halloween song by Bobby Boris Pickett topped the Billboard charts in 1962? This is the one Haley said she wants me to
0: answer, right? This is the one. This is Monster Mash. And the reason she asked me this is we both listen to this podcast and they do like an updated, unrated version of this. And it's so terrible. But uh, yeah, I hear it in my head. I can't hear the regular Monster Mash. I hear the other one and it's, it's, it is graphic. I want to hear <laughs> so, it.
1: I need to hear it. No,
0: it's so graphic. <laughs> I need to hear it oh my gosh i can't get it out of my head now okay next one (laughs) okay mandy why are halloween colors orange and black i don't know this one i have no idea oh think about it think of things (laughs) that are orange i just looked at pumpkins
1: (laughs) pumpkins very good okay and i don't know darkness (laughs) black cats that's exactly it pumpkins and darkness yes that's it
0: (laughs) i mean there was a few more words than darkness but it was one of those
1: words wow i mean that's that's all that makes sense (laughs) it does it does (laughs) all right do you want to do one more yeah let's do one more okay here we go all right melissa we all Mm -hmm. know that you are the queen of geography so the last question i have for you is transylvania is commonly associated with (gasps) Dracula. Where is the city of Transylvania located? Can I have one clue? Is it in the United States? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's
0: not in the United States. So Pennsylvania, Transylvania, Pennsylvania is not (laughs) that is not
1: correct. Uh, France, that's (laughs) in what is it? It's in Romania.
0: Oh, I am such an idiot. Okay. <laughs> okay, when is the next time there will be a full moon on Halloween? Ooh. When was the last time there was a full moon on Halloween? Um, it happens every 18 to 19 years. <laughs> Did that help you? No. Um, I'm going to say, I don't know. Next year? Um, 2039. Oh, so wow. A long almost time. Almost as far off as you could have been. <laughs>
1: So it must have been last year or the year before. Yeah, I was thinking it was like a trick question. I was like, maybe it's this year. And that's she's trying to trick me because it was a full moon recently. So I was trying to think if that lined up correctly with Halloween. But I was like, I don't know. I don't think it does.
0: (laughs) Wait, did you mean a full moon just like in life recently?
1: Not like on Halloween?
0: (laughs) Yes. But (laughs) oh, no, this is worse than Transylvania, Pennsylvania.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the moon has phases. So I was trying to think of like, when was the last full moon? And how long it was going to be until the next full moon. And I was like, does it fall on Halloween? Like, is that like a thing? But quick question, yeah. quick follow-up. <laughs> do you know how long the phases <laughs> are? Off the to top do that? Of my <laughs> head. No, I
0: don't. <laughs> I appreciate your effort bringing mathematics <laughs> and the lunar chart into <laughs>
1: I tried to. Okay. I tried really hard. <laughs> Honestly,
0: great effort. Great effort.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. This has been a very fun little episode.
0: It has. It's it's been something. Um also on Patreon this month, we are doing another one sort of similar to this. So if you like this sort of thing, we're doing another movie based on a real life true crime event. Um, and that's at patreon.com/slash moms and murder podcast. Also, Apple Plus subscribers, that's a thing we have now. I'm working on uploading all of those to um, to the server. It's, it's, it takes a lot of time, so I'm putting up some every day. Um, but that is like a monthly subscription. If Patreon's not your thing and you use Apple and you want ad-free
1: content, it is there for you. Yay. All right, guys. Well, that was the episode for this week. We will be back next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye. <laughs>